0: How we begin. Hey everyone, welcome to Legion Quest. Uh, this is a
1: podcast where we go around and talk about the FX show Legion. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Jenkins, and with me as always is Matt Sibley. Matt, how are you doing today?
2: I am doing pretty good. Like, compared to you when it's early morning, like I've had enough time to wake up.
1: Yeah, it's six fifteen here, which isn't that early. But I had to wake up, do all this stuff beforehand. It's been, it's been a fun time. But honestly, I'm it's really, really excited. I'm, I'm just so pumped to talk about Legion. Absolutely. Okay, so spoiler alert: the show is super good.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that maybe like lowballing it as well. Like, it's absolutely incredible.
1: And we're going to go into a bit of a formal review a little bit later in the show, Uh, but folks, you are in for a good one. We are in for an amazing season of television. Maybe it just ends up being eight fantastic episodes, but those are going to stand for time because it's, oh, it's so good. So what we're going to do here, just to give you guys an overview, uh, we're going to go through, we're going to recap the episode, uh, give you a quick 30-second if you didn't understand anything else about the episode, this is what you need to know breakdown of it. Uh, we're going to go through a review, we're going to talk about some fan theories, and then we're going to, you know, see where the rest of Legion takes us. Sound pretty good for you to map?
2: Yeah, sure. I'm excited to get to your theories because I saw the one that you put up earlier, and it's quite sound.
1: <laughs> we, I'm going to hold off. I'm going to hold off and jumping into that. But the devil with yellow eyes is something that I am shocked that I'm so set on.
2: Yeah, well, I like we'll get into it, but I'm just kind of interested in how everyone's having different interpretations of that. Like it kind of shows this is a show which could go anywhere. It's not like we've locked down where it's heading.
1: And that's the biggest thing about it, because it starts out and you don't know where it's going. So let's talk about that opening.
2: Oh, it's a opening montage. Is it a Happy Jack?
1: Happy Jack by the Who. Who I think were the best band out of the British Invasion in the sixties, but that's mm-hmm. just me. Ah, uh, so that starts playing. That's about a troubled kid who's growing up, and everyone thinks he's all happy and all that. And it's a fantastic stylized, just long shot. All there's a bunch of cuts, just fading in and out of David as a kid, but the camera stays dead center on david right in the middle as he grows up from you know a happy little baby to a bit of a troublemaker kid to dealing with these voices these voices in his head that he can't control seeing these weird visions and it drives him to drugs alcohol and kind of what was the most shocking about that was the way it ends he walks up to a noose puts his head in it drops and then it cuts away
2: it's it's just so kind of low-key for what you think of as like a big dramatic moment Mm -hmm. it's kind of underscored and everything by like the way it builds to that
1: yeah and as we get into this episode we're gonna see that you know what maybe there's a little bit more to everything that they've been showing us that whole montage (laughs) maybe we're getting 80 percent of the truth or maybe we're getting none of it it's don't mess with my mind this early (laughs) (laughs) blame polly for that But yeah, what did you think, especially about the cinematography, since that's a lot more of your background, what did you think Mm -hmm. about all those shots there?
2: Uh, Like, like you said, with the camera kind of staying in place, I think it's a lot more impressive than just being like a general montage to run through someone's life. Mm -hmm. Like it kind of like, it creates like a fixed point to then base action around. And then like the kind of the shot, which impressed me the most, aside from the bit where he just kind of walks up to the noose, is like the top down one of the police car, Mm -hmm. because it then kind of like breaks the perspective and everything to show the full layout. And then another thing, just because, like, you mentioned The Who and, like, the British invasion and everything. Like, it's, like, that's almost kind of setting the tone for, like, what the show looks like as well. Because, like, the kind of clothing and everything and the aesthetic is almost like, what if people who were around at the time of the British invasion thought, like, modern day could be like?
1: Well, and here's the thing about that. You know, the next location the where the big chunk of the episode takes place is at uh, the Clockwork Mental mm-hmm. Institute. And that whole place... Feels like the mid-60s. It's
2: also really like keybrick as well.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it's a combination of, like, an industrial-feeling place that they're trying, trying to make homely. Yeah. They're trying to make it feel like a good place. So, yeah, I mean, that's the next cut. We go, uh, we go to Clockwork, and we see... David and his sister uh, Amy, and she's sitting there. She's holding a cupcake with a sparkler in it, celebrating his birthday. And he's just—he's not having it. I mean, he appreciates that his sister's there, but this is his two hundred and sixty-third Thursday on the cruise ship. Mental health—he's done. He doesn't care. It's his birthday. Yeah,
2: five years is a long time.
1: It—it's ridiculous, and you can start to see that. You know what? To him. His mental illness—it's—it's it's what's holding its back. It's what's ruining his life, and he'd rather be on the pills, not hearing the voices, being numb to everything, than trying to experience anything. So he'll—I mm. mean—he sits around and he uh, jokes with his friend Lenny, Lenny who's played by Aubrey Plaza. Now, what—what mm. did you think about Lenny and David's little back and forth?
2: I think like they work quite well together. Like. It was about like kind of Aubrey Plaza's doing a similar thing to April Ludgate, but it also oh, she, she's feels just being
1: Aubrey Plaza But no, I I think they've got a really good balance of friendship, a really good back and forth there. Mm. I was, you know, I was really excited because you know it felt a little cold between David and Amy. David, who's played mm. by Dan Stevens, and Amy, played by uh, Katie Aselton, uh, who played Jenny on The League, which is how I've seen her described literally everywhere they talk about <laughs> this show but they they have a lot of good relationships and honestly the hmm. first you know first thing's first the cast in this show has been fantastic so far Dan Stevens he's immediately grabbing you with this twitchy energy this feeling of you know he he he, he doesn't know what's going to happen he doesn't really get an idea he's sitting there and he's trying to contain a lot
2: in him. Other kind of casting stuff, like even the extras are interesting. Like, you know when uh, David is talking to his sister, how mm-hmm. there's like the, the old couple in the background? Yeah. The, I immediately thought he... of uh, Mulholland Drive because when Naomi Watts' character comes out of the airport in that, it's a David Lynch movie. She, like these people just kind of interact with her, like an old couple in the, around their 70s, and then they're just it cuts to them at some point later in a cab and they're just maniacally laughing and it's incredibly uneasy. Well, let and, me ask.
0: Are those people there? I, I didn't don't know. I get the feeling they were there. Like, I was that, like... That's
2: one of the things that first threw me because, like, they're kind of at the edge of the frame,
0: mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be like a private
1: thing, and they're yeah. I mean, they're a weird set of characters just to be there. Oh,
2: and I mean, there's we... the there's the man in the bush as well, which is like equally is he there? Oh, the man in the bush. He does it's some just... great work with his eyes.
1: Oh, it's this guy. He like has some camo face paint. He's sitting in a tranquility garden, hidden in clockworks. Just sitting there, and you keep panning by, and there's, I think there's only one shot that really focuses on him. And then everything else, yeah. he's in the background just creeping, looking, observing everyone. It's weird. Mm. <laughs> but, For sure. since I have this whole, uh, you know, crazy board of string going through trying to figure out all my <laughs> theories on this, he and those themes play into it. I sound
0: like a crazy connected. person.
1: But oh <laughs> yeah, we'll jump into that. So yeah. at Clockwork, they have a little meet cute. Uh David sees this girl, Sid. She's about his age at the hospital. She's kind of covered up. She's got her hair and pigtails. And he tries to give her twizzlers and somehow fails miserably. It yeah, does it's... not go well.
2: No, it does not. Although, like, it it still kind of has, like, that connection between them, even though it doesn't go well.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a... I mean, it kind of sets the stage for the first act, because the first act of this is a romantic comedy. Yeah, true. It it sets up, and it's all about, hey, David and Sid have a relationship, and it soon jumps into that. So they Mm -hmm. go, and there's a uh, little group therapy session, and... David talks about, you know, his problems, especially, you know, how he's tormented by these voices, and the strongest, strongest one is something called the Devil with Yellow Eyes, who appears as this, this obese, morbidly obese man with this pale jaundiced skin and these disgusting yellow, pussy eyes.
2: Oh, like it's real grotesque and like kind of throws you the first time you see him.
1: And yeah, because at least at this part of the episode, all you get is glimpses. You get Mm -hmm. half second shots of it and you're trying to figure out what you're seeing. And a lot of in this, uh, the Mental Health Institute, it's a lot of quick hits of yeah, you know, what are we really seeing?
2: Mm. Yeah, so, it, it reminds me of like The Leftovers in like when it started out, kind of did like general serenity, and then it had like these really brief and intense bursts of violence and flashback stuff. I can by making that connection because of how intense it is compared to the more like subdued nature of the, the, the Clockworks.
1: So at Clockworks, in this group therapy session, uh, Sid gets him to question. You know what? What if what if this is just me? Why does it matter if we're normal? He's getting him to really question his reality, and he responds by saying, hey, do you want to be my girlfriend?
2: Yeah, he's very upfront about that.
1: Oh, no. He knows what he wants. He's decided that, you know, the social construct of you know politeness or anything like that, he doesn't care anymore. Everyone's in a mental health institution here. They know what they're getting into. So they go through that. They have a really cute date thing. I mean, they Sid doesn't like being touched just close and you know David accepts that because well people have their tics in the mental Mm. institute he's not going to question why because she's getting that from every other angle so they walk around they hold a piece of fabric to hold hands together and it's a cute little thing and the relationship keeps growing until Sid is about to get taken home Mm. he's about to leave clockworks And David can't take it. David was close to happy for a moment. And he finally goes, and as she's running out, he gives her a kiss. And then the world goes crazy. Now,
2: everything turns upside down all the time.
0: (laughs) Everything turns just straight upside down! uh, They kiss, and it goes into this... you know
1: atoms crashing into each other literally and it looks out and david just starts to have these visions and he sees a field filled with television sets playing different parts of his life and when he comes to the world's upside down and he's looking at himself because he's in sid's body hmm. and i think a really the... smart
2: thing they did there was the use of, like, the PO- the point-of-view shots when he's running to find Sid? Mm-hmm. Because it then kind of, like, it continues through for a little bit, and then that's how, like, the reveal of that they've switched bodies happens.
1: Right. So they, it turns out they switched bodies, you know, standard body swap story, and David's stuck in her body, and since they think, well, Sid has to leave, she's being discharged, they leave. But as they're leaving, they realize no one else is in the Institute. It's this real moody, very, very intensely lit scene.
0: Mm,
2: drenched in red.
1: Drenched in red. And no one else is in the main part of the Institute. He he can hear voices. He can hear screams. And as they go down a tunnel, they realize that all the patients... Their rooms are sealed shut. It looks like a door was never even there. They can hear Mm -hmm. people pounding, trying to get out. And they go up to one door. And they see blood. Blood on the ground. And looks up. And Lenny is stuck in a wall.
0: Yeah. It was... Ugh, terrifying
2: oh for sure like it, it's kind of interesting like the way that it builds up in like a horror movie style sequence oh but it's like so the, the horror's already happened in a way like it's not like we then see a, gr- a grotesque murder we're like no, we're stuck in the aftermath
1: it's tension they mm. build so much tension in that scene it's fantastic so david in uh sid's body you know they escape they get out of there and the police have been called it's a crazy scene he sees some people getting out of a car looking to chase him and he doesn't like it he runs eventually he's sitting there trying to catch his breath and he's his body returned to his mind it pulled in and now he's outside of the institute he looks like himself he has his own mind and he does not know what the hell just happened so he goes to the only person he thinks he can find some consistency with which is his sister she begrudgingly takes him in He sees Lenny, she comes back, and she's living in his mind down in this basement here, and she, and Lenny goes, dude, don't give a newbie a bazooka, and act surprised when she blows shit up.
2: It's easily the best line of the episode.
1: It's my second favorite line. Which one's your, is it
2: the the dick about it?
1: Yes. (laughs) So we actually find out, and in a minute, we find out that David's been actually relaying this whole, whole conversation to this interrogator, to this guy, and it's in a lot more of a modern setting.
2: It plays with the anachronistic style, because there's like the modern stuff, and then the 60s inspired, st- inspired stuff, and then you'll get come later and there's like a little bit of 20s. Yeah,
1: I, I love how uh, Noah Hawley is playing with what our expectations of that time mm. are, because you think, you know, 60s, mental health, it wasn't talked about. It was, no. oh, you know, they're troubled. And in modern modern times, you know, it's a lot a lot more open. Maybe not as open as it should.
2: There's the conversation there. Yeah.
1: yeah, but he's being held because this interrogator, they're afraid of him. They're afraid of what happens. And you know, this has been actually cutting through in and out of the episode the whole time, talking hmm. to the interrogator, back at the passing clockwork. And in the interrogator, you find out this isn't what it seems. Even. A
0: little bit.
2: That, that reveal is amazing when uh, Bill Owens' character just walks out the door.
0: He walks and then suddenly out the like, door?
2: This, this is a swimming pool?
0: <laughs> a swimming pool! They built a set in a swimming pool! And they keep climbing, and then it walks into this, like, freaking military bunker-looking place, and then he keeps walking, and they're in a school gym, <laughs> and they've got this big surveillance thing, and his boss is there... And they keep talking about,
1: this may be the most dangerous mutant to ever live.
0: Is this whole thing? I didn't know what to do.
2: I got, <laughs> I, think, I, got I do think shocked. I paused it. It's, I think I paused it when he walked out the door. Because, like, you know the kind of music that's playing over that?
1: I don't remember what the music is. It, it's kind there.
2: of like a, like, kind of techno, techno, yeah, techno, but it's like it the, a beeping was it the, the kind of thing.
1: like, mostly Stranger Things theme tracks? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I guess it's yeah, kind of yeah. like
2: that. And yeah. so, like, I was initially thinking, like, is that, like, a a door or something? And then obviously, like, it then reveals, no, wait, it's, like, there's all of these other things going on as well. I was like, I'm going to need a second just to work through that first one so I can now focus on this.
1: Yeah, my notes I just have in big letters.
0: Why is he on a soundstage, <laughs> in a swimming pool, in a bunker, in a school?
1: <laughs> that, was, that was the first moment I think the show really hit me and said, I don't
0: know what to expect anymore. Yeah, because
2: like we were expecting the build-up to them saying, oh, he's a mutant. But I the, didn't expect like, the... it
0: like that!
2: <laughs> well, like, I knew it was coming. I didn't realize they'd do it in like as plain of a way as that. But
1: Right. And it brings up a lot of questions about the world and, hmm. you know, continuity, and none of it matters to the story. <laughs> it's set dressing. Yeah. And it'll be fun to explore as it keeps going, but it doesn't matter to the episode. Mm. so the interrogation long story it goes poorly david is convinced convinced that this guy the interrogator and that's all he's listed as in the credits Mm. but the interrogator he was there he was at clockworks he was coming out of the car he was the one chasing after him and david starts to be real real tense real real apprehensive and they start to say okay look 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 we're, we're done David, you need to calm down, you need to calm down, and he realizes he has more power than he ever knew. they are afraid of him, and his is the power of
0: telekinesis He destroys this room, just throws stuff everywhere, throws a pen into this guy's face
2: oh, like that's the way that the pen happens is like kind of jarring enough because that seems in kind of calm intent like in terms of movement and everything mm-hmm. With them both being... And then it's like a really... Like a quick jab to the face, essentially.
1: Right. Oh, it was... That was just... That was just such a satisfying scene. Hmm. And you'd think, this is his moment. This is his big escape. And then they gas him? Yeah, and And then it has the really cool
2: underground shot.
1: Oh, yeah. His mind just goes away. He goes back into the flashback to some of the stuff we've already covered. And... There's a few weird jumps in there, a few things that don't have a great place. He starts to think back on Sid in the hospital, and they have this Bollywood dance number that it's a little out of place, a little not. I don't know how I felt about it. It's I kind of charming. Loved, it's, it's charming. I think their relationship was already established, and this is mm. one of the weird kind of quirky things that could make or could break the show. Mm. you got to have a good balance of it. I liked mm. it. I wouldn't want Something like that in every episode. Yeah,
2: I think that's appropriate.
1: But the best part of that dance number is that Moskai, Moskai dancing oh, yeah. too. He's just in the background. You, it doesn't focus on it, doesn't see it, but he's doing his little, the little Bollywood dance in the tree, and it's great. It saved he's it so for great. me. I hope he,
2: I hope he somehow sticks around.
1: He was a good use of set dressing.
0: Hmm.
1: So they. Uh, they keep going. He has some flashbacks. He remembers back to when his powers first erupted, first happened. And he is uh, hes in a the kitchen. There's been some sort of fight. It doesn't get really touched on, and he's angry. He starts shaking. The room starts shaking. And there's this freeze frame explosion in the kitchen. Oh, and yeah, it's slow it-
2: motion. it like, just kind of rotates around him, and then the wider room as everything's exploding, and it's, it just looks incredible.
1: Oh, it's an amazing piece of cinematography yeah. right there. It's set, and there's stuff flying around. And then the knife and... just, like, kind of catches him as well. Yeah. And in the background, in that, you can see the devil with the yellow eyes. Mm. His big inner demon just staring him down, being creepy as all get out. Oh, it was so good! But, yeah, long story. He has one last important memory, at least. And that's and that's looking uh, as the day that he called the Institute trying to figure out what happened to Sid. And some people start chasing him afterwards.
0: Yeah, the people in the car. Then you see Sid. Yeah, the people in the car. Then you see Sid. Sid's there. Sid says, hey,
1: this isn't real. David, you need to understand, this isn't real. But we're going to help you. You're sitting back at the... Uh, back in that bunker in the swimming pool but she says no this is real just trust me you're gonna slowly get up and it flashes back to him in the swimming pool and the swimming pool is full the set's gone he's in a chair there are wires to the pool there's men in masks and guns and the interrogator is holding the button he says tell us where sid is what happened to the girl no one knows and then David realizes that he doesn't need to be scared anymore. There's people coming for him. Mm. He slides out of his chair, and you see these flicks. You see these flickerings of just yellow things throughout the scene. And there's an explosion, and all of these bodies just drop into the pool, and they've been burnt to a crisp.
2: Oh, like, absolutely. Like, I know we've talked about terrifying stuff already, but like even though it's just the way like they kind of descend down into the pool while the camera stays there.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. And then things get real qu- crazy. He gets Absolutely. out of the pool, Sid pulls him out with, you know, long sleeves and a glove on, pulls him out of the pool, with her two other characters, uh Carrie and Tomy. And she says, We have to get you out. We have to get you out of here. And they start to run. They break out of the building and the outside is a literal war zone. People yeah, are yeah. flying everywhere, there's guns, there's explosions, there's all this stuff!
2: Just things crashing in, like, down into Earth.
0: What did this episode evolve into? Because <laughs> that is not what? what I expected. It did no, not... Like the...
1: They did not advertise this as an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
2: No, the thing I love most about it is, like, the way that the guy who's just throwing stuff around casually uses his powers. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't lose any of the momentum by having, like, a big dramatic thing where he's, like, summoning rocks from the earth. It's just more like a, there's, like, a continual sense of motion pushing them, uh, oh, yeah. like, away from it. And then he's, like, kind of tossing people aside.
1: Long, wide tracking shot as they run down to this beach to get safe. And they get there. They get there. Mm. And be- before we get into that, what did you think about the effects in that scene?
2: Uh, I th- I thought they looked pretty good. Like, I mean, obviously, I, think if th- I don't think anyone's gonna be like, "Are you sure that was like practical or CGI?" Because like, it's clearly CGI.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: it's... and I like I think to complain about like the quality of them is like to ignore how well that scene works in like moving them from point A to point B.
1: Like... The scene works from an emotional level. Yeah. And f- mostly from a technical level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, I'm not gonna say that it didn't pull me out a little bit when they had that opening of avengers age of ultron quality cgi throwing everything around and getting a little weird with it i i didn't my mind wouldn't believe what i was watching but not because of like narrative structure because i said no they didn't do that they didn't do that it it did pull me out a little bit
2: i think like i was just caught, i was like caught up enough that it was in retrospect that i can Kind of see, like, it's not perfect and everything. Oh, I think that's fair. Yeah.
1: So they get down to uh, the beach, and there's another woman, um, Melanie. She's waiting for him there. She's an older woman. She's standing there, and she, they're essentially saying, Hey, David, it's time to, you know, join our resistance? I'm not sure what the <laughs> whole thing is, because that's pretty much where it ends, except for David mm. and Sid saying hey, this is real, we are real, and I love you. So that, that's, that's the it will Yeah,
2: like, it's saying it like that, yeah, it's not that complicated.
1: It's not straightforward structurally, but mm-hmm. they give you all the threads to follow. They just trust that you're smart enough to put them together.
2: Yeah, I said it like, In my notes, I have, like, it's like a Jonathan Hickman comic and like he's giving you enough pieces to understand what's going on on, like, the main level at this moment. And then presumably once we finish the season, then you can go back and understand it all.
1: But each thing, like, I think this episode, and this was an oversized hour and a half long chunk of TV. I think it stands on its own. I think it's a fantastic story in, you know, within its narrative limits. And then mm. as it progresses to part of the whole, it's going to be even better. I hope. Yeah, I've only it, seen one episode.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's how the best pilots work. And, like, there's, like, a very contained thing here. But it's also, like, it. it's not, like, so contained that it's going to be closed off from the rest of the season. So the
1: big, quick, if you didn't understand anything else that happens, this you must for the episode. David's in a mental institution. Falls in love with Sid, he kisses her, they switch bodies. She can't deal with his powers, and his powers kill Lenny. He escapes and get captured by, quote- unquote, "government-esque guys." And then Sid and the Legion of Substitute X-Men break him out.
2: Legion hey, of Substitute bye-bye. X-Men is a wonderful name that you've given them as well.
1: How did you feel about the episode as a whole? If you, as a yeah. professional comics and TV reviewer, were going to describe <laughs> it, what would that be like?
2: Oh, in a professional capacity, I think what, what, obviously, it's like unlike anything we've ever seen thus far, and then I think it also goes, fur, you know, goes further than being like a comic book show, and it also like in a, in some ways goes further than being like a general TV show in the way that it uses the camera, and like it's it's kind of filmmaking as a whole.
1: I feel like Noah in this show is pushing the limits of the genre. He's not allowing yeah. himself to be restricted by what T V should be.
2: Yeah. I mean like each scene feels like it does something different camera wise, like it, it's not kind of developing like a conventional style or approach.
1: No, it's it's great and I'd agree, this is when I first watched it, all I could think is this is the best television thing to ever come from comic books. And I've seen a lot of those.
2: Yeah, I mean, like it's like a kind of initial ranking thing. is like it's like kind of what pilots grab me. It's like kind of like Jessica Jones is like probably or was top of the list before this, and then For like pilots? even this is
0: okay. Like that? just because of that. like
2: the kind of like it's like a very kind of Veronica Mars style thing which appealed to me, and then like the kind of the twist at the end of that episode of Jessica Jones where uh, the girl shoots herself anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that was a that was a good episode. I just I feel like this was miles ahead of anything. Like, oh I'm yeah, absolutely. To, yeah. I'm not thinking in terms of what was the best comic book pilot. I'm thinking of hmm. what was the best pilot I've watched.
2: Oh, and like in that case, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I my my mind like jumps to uh, Veronica Mars as like one of the ones from around ten years ago. I just feel like it's so clear on what it wants to be. And then like we we talked about Lost in the first episode, didn't we? Yeah, Briefly. we did. It's- yeah, like that that has a fantastic pilot as well.
1: Oh, this has the same level of engagement of that pilot because it sets up so much. Just the mm-hmm. economy of storytelling in this episode is amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I I went into this show. I went to this with pretty high freaking expectations this exceeded them i set the bar so high and i was still just off base of how good this was going to be Hmm. now the one the one thing one thing i've heard a lot of criticism about from certain circles and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode is that it doesn't feel connected to anything Hmm.
2: i think it's absolutely fine that it doesn't like i don't think Hawley would, be, would have been able to get away with kind of everything he wanted to do if it kind of needed to hit like a certain time period or maybe like needed to include a certain character or something like that
1: and one thing one thing i think people need to realize and think a little more critically about is look at look at, at especially the first episode of a lot of connected shows look at agents of shields first episode mm. Do you know what its connection to the rest of the Marvel Universe is? Hey, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s a thing, and we're this guy... following up the, the
2: thread from Iron Man 3.
1: Yeah, yeah, this guy mm. has Extremis. That's it. That's the only connection. And it's a bunch <laughs> of characters beyond Colson that you've never seen before, never cared about before, and none of them were set up for comics. Hmm. And that, that pilot has problems. I've never felt like I need to watch it again.
2: No, like, it's entertaining, but it's not one of the things where I was like, with this where I needed to watch it again within the day.
1: Right. No, it. they do a lot with it, and I'm so glad that they have the storytelling freedom to do whatever they want with Legion. Hmm. I think it's great. This was, oh, such a good pilot. So happy about it. Glad, glad, glad we're doing this show about it. Oh yeah, I'm so glad we, like, picked this. Glad I'm spending my Friday morning doing that. Okay, so the last thing I really want to get into is, is your grand theory. theory. Okay. okay. Well, there, there's a few theories I want to build up to my, the one I'm most passionate about. Okay. So the first thing, there's people questioning what's real, what's not real. One of the things I've seen a lot about is asking, hey, uh, is who is Sid? What's up with Sid? Is she everything she claims to be? Because she's the one who challenges David. She's the one who keeps moving him. Is she manipulating him in some way? Is any of their relationship real? And I think that's a thread that might get pulled a little bit later because they are setting them up. It feels like they're setting you up for an emotional gut punch down the line.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the core of the show, so something Uh is going to happen with that, obviously.
0: And if it doesn't,
1: you know, it's okay that Legion just has one normal thing in his life. Yeah, it feels like a grounded element in that way. Right. So that's one thing I've heard. Some people, and this is you know just completely off the wall, but people comparing uh, the character Melanie Bird, who's the woman at the end who David mm. joins, to like Cassandra Nova, who's Charles Xavier's evil twin sister from the Wound, Morrison, that- isn't it? Yeah, it's from New yeah. X-Men. She's supposed to be the evil reflection of himself, and he killed her when mm. they were in utero, and it's a whole thing. I don't see that happening, not because it's too weird. Not because it's mm. too weird. I want that to be very <laughs> clear, because at this point, my arms are up in the air saying, "Friggin', I don't know what's going to happen in this show, yeah. but I do know I'm not going to say, oh, that's a little too weird for Legion. I just, okay, I, I'm just
2: i glad we found the ceiling. <laughs>
1: I don't know enough about her character to speak intelligently on that. But maybe as the episodes progress, we'll learn a little more.
2: Yeah, there may be like a similar trait which pops up or something.
1: Right. I think it may be more thematic than anything else. Because, yeah, I mean, spoilers for the press of the show and everything. She looks like she's going to be a Charles Xavier mentor-esque figure. So maybe they're playing with some of that stuff. I don't know. Mm. But... Uh, the other, yeah, so those two, and then the big one, What? what's up with the devil with yellow eyes?
2: Yeah, what, this what? is like, this is a thing which everyone's asking.
0: Oh, no, because it's weird, and there are some legitimate X-Men connections that no one ever thought could happen. <laughs> do
1: you, do you want like, to, like, explain yours then? Or... I'm building to that, because there are okay. three, I, I'd call them three big theories all of them have some merit i thought i'd seen another one but yeah the first one and this is what i think is the least likely thing is that it's the shadow king the shadow king's a villain Mm -hmm. uh we talked about him a little bit in the first episode he has some history with legion but he's Mm a mental manipulator uh he's a big villain of charles xavier's he's a he most often appears as in the body of a large man named Amal Farouk. Uh, so there's a little bit of the visual similarities there, mm-hmm. a little bit with the taking over the mind, and there's a history with David. Okay, I, I did not see that one. Yeah, that that's the that's the one of the big ones I've been seeing. I don't buy that one, just because I'm not sure what the end game would be. And fine, mm. I don't understand what the endgame is on this show, period. I think no. that's fair to say. But yeah, for sure. I don't know what the Shadow King, as the themes in the comics, would want from David. Mm. So I think that's that's odd. The next theory I've been seeing a lot online is that it's an aspect of David's personality. And I think this has a lot of merit. Uh, specifically, they're calling it The Fiend from Cy Spurrier's run. And Matt, you've yeah. read that, right?
2: Yeah, of course. And I like yeah. now that you've said that, I think it's more likely considering the omnibus is coming out. Like if they wanted to do a tie in, there's kind of like a a clear one there then.
1: Well, I, I think I think I think there's a lot of potential and a lot of merit to saying that okay, this is an aspect of David's personality. Because in yeah. the uh in run, the fiend, it kinda of grows throughout his uh it kind of goes throughout the whole run. Uh, it starts out as this yellow goblin-y kind of lanky thing. Yeah, it's kind of
2: inferior to the other personalities like David's warring with in his mind, isn't it?
1: Right, yeah. Yeah. and it's the aspect of his personality that ends up being a lot of his repressed feelings and thoughts about his father all of his anger for that so it ends up by the end of the run turning into a manifestation of Charles Xavier who's David's father in the comics yeah I think I think this has a lot of merit I don't think yeah. this is a hundred percent wrong
2: No, but I feel I, like it's gonna come back in some way like yeah it, it could end up be, it could end up being like David first needs to get over his like internal demons before dealing with like an external threat so right it could always be like some form
1: of the fiend, or like a play on that i feel like thematically that's where they're going yeah absolutely i feel like they're doing that however <laughs> however noah Hawley is not a guy to just that i can assume coincidence with i no, think everything
2: is meticulously crafted
1: it feels like everything's meticulously crafted you're right so there is one other theory and it's out there for this show but i am dead set on this being true i believe the devil with yellow eyes is the character Mojo from Chris Claremont's Uncanny X Men run?
0: Now, well, now that's Matt, the character Matt.
2: that I jumped to immediately.
0: Matt, what? Yeah, what do you, what do you
2: know
1: about Mojo? If you were going to uh, describe right. Mojo, <laughs>
2: uh, he is a kind of like giant gelatinous bo- blob. Yes. He also has like a big dedication to like TV and stuff. Like oh, I mean, yeah. like like an Uncanny Avengers Annual, which is set around him, like making his own version of the Avengers in an alternate universe or something.
1: Yeah, he is. He is a multiversal TV producer. He's mm. insane, and not not in a mental health way. I, I need to be clear on that. He mm. is a sociopathical, immoral person who ratings are the most important thing.
2: He, does he show up in Spurrier's X-Force as well? It's he brief, does. Isn't it?
1: Yeah. We're going to get to that in just a second. Is that, that's okay. what sealed the deal for me. That's what sealed okay. the deal that this has to be Mojo. Because it starts out, you know... There's physical similarities. A big, bulbous, mm. gelatinous, yellow spineless, yellow... Well, yellow eyes, and he has a jaundiced body if you look at the mm. the quick shots and maybe some of its lighting. But especially at the mm. end, yeah. when they're on the beach, you can see... The oh yeah, when he's eye. lurking
2: in like, the bush and everything.
1: So that has a lot more normal lighting than some of the more dramatic scenes. And he's yeah. yellow there. Mm. He's got some yellow there. Absolutely. So it looks like Mojo. That's the first thing. Mm. Okay. Throughout the episode there's a lot of tv imagery i mean they set up a sound stage to trick him into believing what's real and what's not there's a lot of stuff about surveillance with that shadowy government the organization
2: yeah and there's and all of the monitors and everything
1: there's all the monitors on the hill just going mm-hmm. through there's a lot of feeling there this feels like a metatextual thing that holly would love to do talking about tv and if tv you know What's reality if, you know, you're viewing it? Are you living, looking into this person's life? Or do they know what's happening? Like, there's some Grant Morrison-ass things that could be done yeah. with
2: that. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, Fargo Season 2 has, like, the big book of crime and everything, like, to kind of I show, not like,
1: what that means yet. It's
2: good, like, it's not a particularly big thing. It's, like, okay. kind of his idea that, like, what happened in Season 1 is, like, Chapter 17, and then Season 2, because it jumps back 30 years, maybe, like, Chapter 8 or something. Huh.
1: Okay, yeah. I still have to watch Fargo Season 2. This has me more excited oh, for that, too. by the way. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing that sealed the freaking deal on this being Mojo for me is Cy Spurrier, the guy who wrote X-Men Legacy, the next thing he did after he left that book, he did a run on X-Force with uh, mostly Rocky Kim, yeah. who did a little mm-hmm. bit of work with him on Legacy. Mm-hmm. And in that X-Force, uh, one of the big threads is that there's this surveillance organization that's watching every mutant it's looking at all of them the organization is called yellow eyes and their leader is called yellow eyes he's this Hmm. body without a head whose eyes all you see is some eyes in the chest like there's a cutout and you see a yellow face with yellow eyes and at the in the middle of the arc you find out that's mojo that's freaking mojo big old bulbous mojo and he's called yellow eyes
2: yeah like it's I, like that's the obvious connection i feel like people made it at new york comic-con as well when they saw the episode
1: i didn't i didn't hear anything from the new york
2: Comic-Con. i i remember seeing i remember seeing like mojo uh, mentioned it like maybe like the vox report on it or something
0: it just it doesn't but, feel um, like this should be something i'm seriously considering why yeah, do i think it's pretty out that,
2: there
0: why do i think that i mean like, like mojo
2: himself is thing. like out there and everything but show. within the context of the show it makes a lot of sense
0: i've just given up believing in, you know,
1: oh, I don't think they're going to do this. This seems a little out there for them. There is mm. nothing out there for them at this point. My mm. money on Mojo at this point.
2: Yeah. The thing that, just another thing that I want to add is, like, the aspect ratio changes when he goes to, like, call the Institute to see how Sid's doing. Uh-huh. And so, like, one, you could, like, kind of argue that plays into, like, the Wes Anderson style because obviously he does that in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh-huh. But but like that the scene where the aspect ratio changes and becomes more movie like is like kind of this really dramatic intense chase scene. Uh huh. So you know, one could argue like, oh, it's being treated as that because like it's meant to be this kind of like big set piece in a way. I can just If my like, mojo is producing something from this.
1: I, I'm just imagining how this could go, if this is the case. Because there is hmm. so much you can play with with you know, there's the big concept of Legion is him questioning what's real, what is reality. What am I, what, what matters? Is it what I'm feeling, what I think is real, or is it the, you know, literal truth of this is something that's actually happening? What is his reality? What is the real reality? And in the vein of the Matrix, in the vein of the Truman Show, I could see this pulling back and saying, hey, everything you thought isn't real. But not, not for the reasons you questioned it before. I could see Holly mm. doing something like that, and it would blow my mind, and I'd be so excited.
2: Yeah, it almost feel like it's like anticipating all of the theorizing and something.
1: Yeah, and maybe it turns out to be nothing. It, I I don't think this will be a straight adaptation of Mojo. I wouldn't be shocked if it's no. just a lot of thematic similarities working in mm. that same uh, vein as like the fiend of this is an aspect that he's built up in his mind. But I'm so excited to see what happens next.
2: Oh, if it, if it is true, I'm going to be amazed when it happens.
1: So, so Legion, worth watching?
2: Absolutely. Worth watching twice.
1: Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I, I can't wait. I watched it by myself. I'm trying to get my wife to check out the episode. I don't know if she'd mm-hmm. like it, but I
0: selfishly just want to watch it again.
2: Yeah. I, I feel like more people would, like, because it's not being conventionally superhero. Like, people don't have to know what's going on in the Marvel Universe play like Cinematic Universe or feel like they have to watch all of the DC shows to get engaged with this.
1: It feels like I'm on the ground floor of something big, just this show in general, and I'm so excited to be there. For sure. So as, as we wrap up, Matt, where can uh, people find you online if they want, you know, more right. of this?
2: Uh, my Twitter is Matt underscore and I'm also part of the Newsrama Best Shots Review team, and so uh, stuff goes up, not necessarily mine, but my colleagues also do great work. Someone else came on this week, uh, so, you know, so there's kind of reviews on Wednesdays, small pellets on Thursdays, advances of some stuff on Tuesdays, and then more like a recap on Mondays of the stuff that we wanted to talk about but didn't necessarily get a chance to earlier in the week.
1: All right. And uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Xavier Files. Uh, that's the name of my uh, website. It's where we host this show. Uh, you can also go to XavierFiles.com where I do weekly recaps about X-Men stuff. This week, I did a whole article on a character called Caliban, who's going to be appearing in the upcoming movie Logan. Uh, yeah, it's played by Stephen I, Merchant, right? Played by Stephen Merchant in yep. Logan. It's going to be Logan's a whole other thing that we're going to be doing a bonus episode on because I'm going to need to talk about it just oh, for someone, sure. I'm yeah. sure. Yes, <laughs> that's that's in our wheelhouse. That's going to happen. Uh, but beyond <laughs> know that, I mean, next week we're covering X twenty three, so that'll be a fun one.
2: Oh yeah, uh, all of the movie times. <laughs>
1: All the movie times. Uh, if you like what you heard here today, go uh, go uh, to Twitter at LegionQuest. Follow us. That's where you're going to get all the updates. You'll get my uh, crazed ramblings on fan theories about this. <laughs> uh, if you really like the show and want to support us, uh, the easiest way you could do that is going onto iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, rate and review. Let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear from you uh beyond that if you if you're really really excited about this and want to see more work from us uh go to patreon.com slash xavier files and uh you can throw in just a little as a dollar a month it helps pay for our hosting pay for all of the uh, fees we have to do to get this and it just it shows your support don't feel like you have to because you know we're gonna keep doing this for free anyway
2: yeah but you know we appreciate any contributions that people make
1: yeah yeah So beyond that, excited for next week?
2: Absolutely. It's going to be more like another six days. I don't know whether I can take it.
1: (laughs) All right. Hey, we'll see you guys next week. David.
0: David. Ciao.